internet dwellers, and welcome back to the Top Shelf Disney Animation Studios Library Podcast. I am TC DeWitt, flying solo today in what we're going to call a bonus episode because I, I don't want to throw off the numbering of the episodes to the number of the movie that we are currently watching. I don't want to be on movie 25, but episode 26. So we're going to call this episode 20.5. Uh, uh, today I'm going to be catching up on some comments and questions. Jeff had some things come up that he needed to take care of, so instead of skipping another week, I decided to jump in and try to do try this out. This is a new thing. Uh, flying solo like this is odd. I am recording live, so I won't feel like I'm completely talking to myself alone. Um, Candace may come in and out of the room, but she just she'll just sort of glare at me. She's nodding. Okay. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I'm going to catch up on some comments and tweets that we've been getting from the past, from, from the listeners to the show and, uh, maybe some of the people commenting as I perform live here. Uh, but, uh, over the last 20 episodes that we've done of the Disney animation studios library, um, yeah, so, um, I am recording live. So for those of you who might be watching and listening, feel free to throw some questions or points of conversation out at me in the comment section. And yeah, so for those of you who might be completely unfamiliar with the podcast, uh, we have been watching the Disney Animation Studios Library of Films, which consists of currently 56 films with Moana. And we started with Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, which was the very first theatrically released feature animated film by Disney. And we've been going sequentially in the order that the movies have come out so we our most recent episode was our 20th episode which we watched the aristocats and uh, we've watched everything in between so you guys you can't test me i'm not gonna be able to list them off the top of my head i could try but it's been snow white's fantasia bambi um all the package movies of world war ii i gave up already <laughs> uh pinocchio i already said peter pan alice in wonderland um yeah so Thank you for joining me in the comments section here. Uh, I do see a comment from you, Schulze, which I'll get to momentarily. Uh, but yeah, first up, uh, I'm going to go to Twitter, which if you want to Twitter pate at me and Jeff, you can hit me up at TC's Big Head. You can hit up Jeff at Random Bell. And one of our regular commenters, which is uh, Dig 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 Hi Ho, who's been listening since, I think, Snow White. So thank you for, for listening here, um, which was... Uh, oh, I probably should have this ready. Um, boy, this is this is this is great. Oh, my favorite villain so far. What of the twenty movies we've watched so far? Who is my favorite villain? Which, um, yeah, that's a fair. It's a good question. There's been some pretty classic villains in the first twenty films, including Maleficent, Cruella Deville. You got the Evil Queen from Snow White. Um, there's been some, some more fun villains like Honest John from Pinocchio or Monstro or the Coachman or Stromboli. There's a lot of villains in Pinocchio, but, uh, the, the villain I think that I like the most because he has the most character. He, he, there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff going on with Captain Hook. Uh, I love the style of the animation he has been given, which, uh, was dupe which was referenced and not duplicated, but referenced in Dr. Facilier for The Princess and the Frog. Uh, but Captain Hook, he's, uh, upon rewatching Peter Pan, actually sympathized with the guy. Why is he so obsessed with Peter Pan? What has that 
that puckish Peter Pan, that king of the fairies. What is, what has he done to that poor Captain Hook? Um, so yeah, Cap- Captain Hook is just and with with his sidekick Shmi, is my favorite villain so far. Um, I wonder. I I'm sure many of you have some favorite villains out there. I know Maleficent to many is the the all-time greatest Disney villain. She's the the main villain in the first Kingdom Hearts. She's um, the only villain to ever call upon the powers of hell, which is that's pretty intense uh, for a, for a villain in a Disney movie, but she she literally calls upon the, the powers of hell. Uh, but thank you for that tweet there. Um, let's see. Uh, Schulze, you did throw up a question here in the comments section. Which ones would you say were the most influential to the Disney movies being made today? Format, design, etc. Well, that's funny. I just referenced Captain Hook as a stylistic reference for Dr. Facilier. Facilier? Facilier. Facil- Keith David. Um, but uh, the the uh, animation style, the painted, the hand-painted uh, watercolor backgrounds of... Um, Lady and the Tramp was very influential on uh, Tangled. They developed a new animation style for Tangled where they took hand-painted animation or hand-painted works and animated it to become the 3D rendered backgrounds. It was influenced by the look of Lady and the Tramp. Uh, For those of you who might not be familiar again with the show, what we've done is we're watching the movies. Every 10, we rank and then we start our ranking system over again. So next week when we start with number 21, which will be Robin Hood, we will start a new ranking of 10. Instead of trying to rank all 56, 1 to 56, which would be quite a task that maybe we'll take upon ourselves one of these days, we've been going 10 by 10. Um, for 11 through 20, I ended up take, uh, selecting Lady and the Tramp as my favorite movie of that 10. It's tough with ranking. Uh, those listening often know that it's tough for us to rank it because sometimes things just edge out one over the other by a fraction or some minute detail, or even if it's just something personal or nostalgic in watching the films that leads us to ranking it one above the other. But I, I selected Lady and the Tramp as my favorite of the second 10 movies we watched because of the structure of the story, the characters themselves, but even the animation and design backgrounds to the characters on the backgrounds was so fluid and and had such a great style to it that uh, I really appreciated it. Um, so I'd, I'd say that that shows influence. Um, but this is, this is a, a question that I've been having with, uh, with some friends since we started this podcast. What is the most pop cultural pop cultural influence what what movie has the most pop cultural influence and there's a couple of these like disney movies animated movies in general are the epitome of the tales being told when you think of peter pan maybe you think of hook but most people are going to think of the animated disney peter pan first when you think of pinocchio and snow white's alice in wonderland these these movies have been ingrained into pop culture because of Walt Disney and the animated films. But the the films that have been most influential, I, I there's there's a little bit of argument here because I say it's Lady and the Tramp. Because whether you've seen Lady and the Tramp or not, you know the spaghetti moments. You know the two dogs eating the noodle and smooching. Uh, maybe, maybe you know nothing else about the movie, but that is such 
a a touchstone of the pop cultural zeitgeist that it's that proves the influence that that movie has on the world. Uh, there have been some other other moments pointed out to me, like Pinocchio's nose growing. Now, Pinocchio's nose does grow in the original source material. Uh, Pinocchio has been around for centuries. Uh, but the Disney idea of if you tell a lie, your nose will grow is ingrained into pop culture because of the Disney version of Pinocchio. So maybe that that could be the most influential. Um, yeah, I mean, Scholze, you, you, you asked the comment, do you have one in particular that you feel is one of the most, if not the most influential in the movies today? I... Well, while you while you might answer that in the comment section, I, I will say I don't think we've hit the era in the movies we've watched so far that are the most influential on the movies coming out today. Tangled and Frozen and Moana are very, very, very influenced by the '90s Renaissance. the 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 Renaissance of 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 Beauty and the Beast and Little Mermaid and Aladdin. Those movies are the most influential on the current animated films coming out, um, in my opinion. Uh, you, do, you do see a lot of the live-action remakes that Disney's been doing with Cinderella and Jungle Book, um, Maleficent. Um, we're, we're getting Aladdin soon, uh, which I do have a tweet about, which I'll get to in a moment. Um, but I think the, the most influential movies to what they're producing today is the Renaissance era. I don't particularly think that the the classic era we've we we hit the the original era of snow white and pinocchio and whatnot and then we got through the wartime and not, those movies are really forgettable a lot of people have not seen make mine music and melody time and fun and fancy free uh, those movies be aren't the classics and even even the classics as we know them when i say sleeping beauty and alice in wonderland you know those movies, but those movies did terrible in the box office. They they bombed. Those were those were movies that nearly bankrupted Disney, and it was movies like Lady and the Tramp and One Hundred One Dalmatians that saved the animation studio. Uh, Jungle Book saved Disney's animation department that allowed them to continue for the decades. Well, we're, we've just we're entering the dark ages now in the uh, our third set of ten. Um, it's the post Walt Disney era. He's passed away now. Robin Hood will be the first movie he had no uh, creative control or say in. Um, and we're gonna get to Black Cauldron and Fox and the Hound, and it's gonna be it's gonna be very interesting, particularly because Jeff hasn't seen those movies. I have. I've seen. I'm I'm a Disney freak. I've seen them all, at least once. Um. So. I bet I bet I I tangented it all over the place on this one. So <laughs> uh, let me let me swing back to another tweet which we got from uh, Aladdin fan. I'm assuming you're a fan of Aladdin. Uh, the question is the announcement of Disney's struggle to cast uh, a live action Aladdin. So I, I know the concern here with the live action movies. Uh, is is twofold one people have a very very nostalgic and, and a strong place in their hearts for beauty and the beast and aladdin and a lot of these classic films the second issue that disney is facing 
is is a, an issue face that Hollywood faces in general, which is this this risk of whitewashing and 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 how people might react to a mistake in casting. You you're making Aladdin. You sure as hell better cast some people of Middle Eastern descent. Uh, if they if they whitewash that, they'd they'd be crazy to do so. It'd be, it would be crazy to cast anyone uh, as Mulan that wasn't of descent, right? Like um, uh, pe- people were were upset with Emma Emma Watson being cast as as Belle because she couldn't sing, and people are gonna flip their lids, and understandably so, if. Disney miscasts anyone from uh, that's a person of color in in their films. Um, I'm I there there are some incredible actors out there who could play Aladdin. Yes, Seth Rogen is Aladdin. <laughs> no, not Seth Rogen is Aladdin. Uh, there are some incredible Indian uh, uh, Middle Eastern actors who could take on the role of Aladdin. I know the. Uh, um, Lion, which came out last year, which was nominated for Best Picture, it stars, it stars um, Dev Patel, and Dev Patel had to fight for that role because he was the obvious choice. He was the first person they could think of when they wanted to cast the part, so they didn't want to cast him. They wanted they wanted to look elsewhere, and he had to fight for that part. And and thankfully he got it because that movie is incredible. It would be it would be a shame if he hadn't had that opportunity. Now I don't know if Dev Patel could pull off Aladdin because Aladdin is. It depends how of all people Guy Ritchie is directing this movie. Um, it depends how he tackles Aladdin. If he's going to make the character a little older, then Dev Patel would be amazing for it. Um, but if you want to play Aladdin younger, there is uh, the the actor who played Zero in Grand Budapest Hotel. He's currently Flash Thompson in Spider-Man: Homecoming. That kid's great, and he is he has proven his his range just in those two roles. He's charming as hell. I'd love to see if they went with a younger Aladdin to cast him. Uh, but the 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 struggle of Disney casting casting the part is is foolish. Where, where are we going to find an actor? Bollywood is bigger than Hollywood. There are plenty of people who could fill out that whole cast. And pe- people aren't going to see that movie on the name recognition of an actor. They're going to go see see it because it's Aladdin and it's a live-action Disney movie. The um, uh, Jungle Book proved in a fashion that people are going for the idea of a live-action Jungle Book, not... Idris Elba, Scarlett Johansson, Bill Murray, or the little kid. Right? It was people went and saw it because they have a love for the movie. So it's stunt casting is unnecessary, and it's something that Pixar has proven for years that they can make a film with people in house, and people are going to come see the movie because it's Pixar. Um, uh, Aaron Williams here has asked me how would I go about the genie. Uh, Schulze did respond in the comments saying that I'd say for the genie, use the original voice. Yes. 100% I think the 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 best way to go would be to ca- just just use Robin Williams with the blessing of his his family bring Robin Williams back for a postmortem performance not just the audio from the film that we saw or even um, Prince of Thieves the third the third uh, Aladdin film which he did do the voice for there has got to be 
hundreds of hours of Robin Williams just just rattling off uh, jokes and comedy uh, as the genie. In fact, a little little fun fact on the trivia of Aladdin. While filming Schindler's List, Steven Spielberg would have Robin Williams call in at lunchtime every day to perform. It was while Robin Williams was, was recording the genie, uh, Steven Spielberg was re- was filming Schindler's List, and that is a that is a heavy <laughs> that is a it's Schindler's List. We know we know how dark that movie is. He would have Robin Williams call in every day and just perform as the genie, as just Robin being Robin on the phone to the cast and crew of Schindler's List to to give them a break from the the weight of Schindler's List. So there 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 has got to be just countless amount of 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 material that they could use of Robin Williams performing the genie because he is the genie. It's so iconic. I, I, um, I don't envy whoever they cast as the genie. I know that, um, uh, that Will Smith's name was thrown around, which is a, a much different choice than, than Robin. And that might be the way to go, go, go completely away from the iconic role that Robin gave us. Uh, but, but, in in my heart, I would love I would love it if it was Robin Williams again. Um, he's one of my idols. He's he's an incredible performer and was an incredible human being. So um, I'd love that. Uh, you who frame Roger Rabbit? It's uh, yes, yes. I see some people in the comments section are agreeing that you could you could use Genie's voice. Uh, trying, to, trying to type Genie would be silly. Like yeah, um, yeah. Or, you know, again, Seth Rogen. <laughs> okay, all right. If you're going to go completely opposite of Robin Williams, Seth Rogen might be the way to go. <laughs> uh, 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 you wish just man. <laughs> um, for those listeners of The Rewatchman, my other podcast, I, uh, I used to not be a huge fan of Seth Rogen, and I won't say I'm a huge fan of his now, but I, I do have an appreciation for some of his work. Um, okay, so... Uh, let's see some other comments in the section. Uh, uh, comments from the thoughts on the Black Cauldron. Uh, Gene, we will be getting to the Black Cauldron in just a couple of episodes. Uh, I won't say too much about it because I'll obviously save it for our review and our analysis of it. But and you'll you'll hear me say this again if you listen to the episode. The Black Cauldron is a missed opportunity. It is a huge missed opportunity. If it wasn't such a failure, Disney should reconsider going back to the Black Cauldron. It's a series. They only used one of the books. It is a book series that they could potentially, if if handled the right way, have a franchise in their hands. Um, it, it would be amazing to see them do the Dark Tower correctly. Um, again, you'll, you'll hear me talk more about it when we get to it on on uh, the episode and just just a just a few episodes from now but but i really do think they missed an opportunity with black cauldron it's 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 quite a mess to begin with for as as neat as some of the stuff is in it it's uh it didn't succeed the way they want i mean hell uh the princess in it <laughs> is the only princess to never become an official disney princess if you look at the they they um they coronate the Disney princesses after they they've succeeded in a fashion. So Anna and Elsa just were were 
cor- coronated, uh, crowned, I guess, princesses of the Disney canon. Uh, Mulan has been crowned. There's obviously Belle, Cinderella, Snow White, Sleep Beauty, um, Ariel. But the princess in Black Cauldron is the only one who's she's a, she's an actual princess. Mulan and 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 some of some of the like they're they're not actually princesses, but they've been crowned. The princess in Black Cauldron is a princess, and she's she's been forgotten for all time, which which is a shame. Which is a shame. So. <laughs> uh, cool. Let's let's uh, um, let's go to Twitter again. Um, and this one comes from Ratefink. I think it should be Ratfink, but it says R-A-T-E Fink. Anyway, some I love that some of these handles are really on the nose for the questions they're asking. Like, um, uh, but anyhow, yesterday was the 35th anniversary of The Secret of Nim. Any thoughts on the film or Don Bluth? All right, so. It's it's a common misconception that if a movie is yes Ariel is a princess twice oh that's right she was a princess in the sea and princess in the land here <laughs> uh, okay it's a it's a common misconception that if it's an animated film it's a Disney film um, for those cinephiles out there or animation nuts we know that there's Disney that there's Illumination that there's Universal DreamWorks Pixar it's, it's is its own thing Studio Ghibli not all animated movies are Disney movies and uh, part of that misconception is, is lended to movies like All Dogs Go to Heaven and uh, uh, Land Before Time and The Secret of Nim which are Don Bluth films produced away from Disney. Don Bluth was an animator and a creator for Walt Disney Studios for some time, uh, but like some of his successors, he got fed up with Disney and left and formed his own animation studio, which uh, Secret of Nim was his debut 35 years ago. That's amazing. Um, he also did uh, American Tale and Five Will Goes West and a lot of the 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 pre-renaissance era animated films the the truly memorable ones that a lot of people do hold in their heart are not the disney animation movies they are don blue films such as secret of nim i i can remember being scared by secret of nim being fascinated by it i remember uh the there's um the male rat that helps mrs brisby it says damn in it and i was like oh someone said damn in a disney movie what um Don Bluth's style, uh, Schulze, you had asked earlier if I thought or uh, which movies were influential on on movies made today from the Disney Library. Don Bluth's animation was very influential on what we, we call the dark ages of Disney because he succeeded. Secret of Nim was the first non-Disney animation feature, animated feature that outgrossed a Disney movie. And... Disney reeled from that. They were they had been the 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 prototype and the and the rule of Disney of animation in features for for decades before. And this this former employee comes along and dethrones them, uh, which would go on to happen again with uh, Katzenberg, the guy who formed DreamWorks Animation Studios. He got fed up, took ideas from Bugs Life, and created Ants to compete against Pixar. 
however, so Don Bluth went and created Rats and Nim, or The Secret of Nim, and that dark style was really influential on the 80s animation. It, it's, it's such a neat, dark movie. I haven't seen it in years, but I, I have very, very clear memories of it. Uh, I've, I've actually watched, a, after you tweeted this, I went and watched a little retrospective on it, and the animation is so beautifully handled. There's, there's a, I have this, I have this love for the hand-drawn animation, and the the very clean and brooding and gritty hand-drawn animation of Don Bluth's earlier work is is beautiful. So, um, yeah, I perhaps there there is another bonus episode in there where we can discuss non-Disney Animation Studio films, uh, which which would be Secret of Nim and uh, Kung Fu Panda, um, or even some of the Disney-owned animation films that aren't part of the 56, the, the canonical Disney Animation Studios library. That includes uh, the Goofy movie, which I love that movie, uh, Brave Little Toaster, all the, all the Pixar films. There, there are plenty of Disney-released animated films that we won't get to on our list. Uh, and, um, and, and yes, yes. Song of the South does have animation in it, but it's no more animation than uh, it's it's half animation, half live action. That's whenever uh, the this podcast is brought up, people are oh you gotta get do you gotta do Song of the South. No, we will not be doing Song of the South because it's not a Disney Animation Studios film. Um, besides, there there are plenty of so far on the twenty movies we've watched. There have been plenty of opportunities to discuss race relations in Disney animation film. <laughs> Uh, the the crows and the Siamese cats and the uh, we in the previous episode we were shocked to to have um, a a Chinese stereotype an Asian stereotype cat named Oriental cats it's on the freaking poster Jeez, Disney come on <laughs> we thought we were beyond that um, <laughs> all right uh, all right let me look up here in the comments section see if anyone else is is added to the fray. Thank you all for joining me in this exercise. Um, it's uh, I appreciate the viewers. I don't feel like a complete fool sitting here and talking to myself in the hot, hot heat. All right. Um, let's see. First. That's it. All right. Well, I don't see any other points of conversation I necessarily want to to tackle today. Um, but I will let you all know that we have a new um, bracket, a new tournament going on. Um, for the past um, at least at least ten episodes, we've had this ongoing conversation of a battle royale of all the magic users that have been in the Disney film so far, and I've created another uh, tournament that uh, I'll throw the link up. Uh, once we post this episode, so it'll be it'll be in the links below. You can also find a link to it on Facebook.com/topshelfpod, and it is a bracket-style tournament of the sorcerers. It's a wizards duel for everyone from the Evil Witch, from Snow White to Merlin and Madame Mim, Maleficent, uh, Yen Sid, and the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Um, Cernabog from Bald Mountain, which I saw someone commented just uh, above a little bit about the 
the horrors of of Cernabog. Uh, but yeah, so it's a it's a it's a randomly gener I randomly generated the the matchups, so there is some uh, variety in the power levels that some people are going up uh, going up against. Um, and and we went to the the simplest of magic users. Uh, right down to the coachman from Pinocchio, who can clearly turn children into jackasses, unless they do that unto themselves. Um, let's see what else we have. Jo- Johnny Appleseed's Angel from Melody Time, and uh, even Joe uh, Jose Carioca from Saludos Amigos and Three Caballeros, who we we did determine was a magic user because of his his innate cartoon abilities to pull things contextually out of thin air i think that uh, the only the only magic user uh someone who uses powers that is not in the tournament was ka from the jungle book i thought of that after the fact that we never i don't believe we ever decided that he was a magic user other than he he has hypnosis so if you want to write in if there's some supporters of ka the snake out there then you can write him in. Um, I I don't recall exactly what his his his, his <laughs> pun his role is in terms of magic or not magic in Robin Hood, but I know it's it's Sterling Holloway again, and he does have the hypnosis. Uh, I think he has the hypnotic power again, so maybe he'll show up in another tournament in the future. But that being said, if you want to cast your vote for the Sorcerer Supreme. Uh, you can find the link once this episode is posted, and we'll see. Uh, right now, there's um, since I went live just a little bit ago, there's already 30 plus votes, and Merlin is is the top dog right now. So, for those of you who may want to dethrone Merlin, get your votes in for I don't know Maleficent or I don't know anyone else who you you might have a love for. So, <laughs> all right. Cool, 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 cool. Um, let's see if I have any other tweets here, any other points of conversation. Let's check the comments section. Um, this is fun, guys. Thank you for joining me on this experiment. Uh, we will be back for an official episode next week with Robin Hood, which I, I should check, but last I the last time I checked, which was a couple weeks ago, Robin Hood was up on Netflix. So if you want to... Give it a watch and come back and join us in the conversation. That'd be wonderful. We we truly do appreciate our uh, interaction with the listeners. Uh, if you're interested to to see how we ranked the, the, the previous 20 films that we've watched so far, uh, it, like I said, it is broken up into 10s. Uh, for the first 10, Pinocchio ended up at the top of the list for both Jeff and I. Um Oh, I know, uh, Matt's, Matt, uh, Matt's, let's see, we do have a comment from the Facebook page. I should totally take a look there. Which do we feel is the scariest movie, the darkest film in the franchise so far, or not the franchise, the library so far? Now, someone did comment that they think Pinocchio is, is the darkest, and I won't disagree. I won't disagree. I think that the the morality lessons that Pinocchio faces over the chapters of his story. There's some dark stuff in there. Uh, Stromboli, who isn't in, 
who is greedy and cruel, but the coachman himself who turns into a, a demon at one point. That's pretty, that's pretty frightening. Um, and uh, Monstro the Whale. There's some less than pleasing, pleasing things in, throughout the uh, Pinocchio in itself. But the, the darkest of the movies of the 20 we've watched so far... Ah, man, Bald Mountain in Fantasia really scared the crap out of me as a little guy. I was I I, I couldn't look away, but I wanted to look away. It was like uh, the 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 ghosts and the goblins and the demons. Like the fact that parents wrote angry letters to Disney. How dare they? They create such horrifying demonic imagery, and it it's pretty intense. Even now, re, re, when we rewatched it, it was I had of course remembered bald mountain and i remembered how frightening it was but it's still creepy as hell i i might not be getting nightmares from it anymore but it, it's a uh, it's pretty dark um there's there's weird moments of darkness in all the disney movies uh, especially in the first 20 whether it's just something unsettling or or or, or even just the crazy eyes of crow de villa she's trying to ram uh, the back of the 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 van carrying the the puppies to safety, um, yeah, and and I think that's okay. I don't I don't I don't truly appreciate the coddling that a lot of a lot of people tend to. I don't know if it's coddling or patronizing that a lot of kids movies, kids quote unquote kids movies have these days. Disney movies tend to lean more towards the whole family, so. Stuff that's a little darker, stuff that's a little more risque. I I prefer that because it's it's not condescending to kids, and I think that a, a like like a labyrinth and dark crystal. The, uh, uh, if you want to look at something like uh, maybe not for little kids, but where the wild things are, there is something genuinely interesting to me and 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 good in my eyes to have some questionable scary imagery or touchy subject to i don't know kind of scare the crap out of kids <laughs> i don't know if that that makes me cruel or not but i don't know um but yeah let's see uh, so i think that was wyatt or tom that, that that commented on that um but uh, let, let let me take a look at one of the other comments here we have from wyatt um, have you guys looked up the deleted story suggestions for some of these films? One of my favorite examples is the prince from Snow White, having been locked in the queen's dungeon because he would not accept her marriage proposal. She taunted him with her plans to kill Snow White and let him drown in her flooding dungeon along with skeletons whew, of former suitors. But before he met his fate, Snow White's animal friends rescue him and sent off to find the doors to collect Snow White. Um... There's even story sketches of this, and it's cut because of the difficulties of animating the prince. But you know what? That that is that is neat. I I've said it before on the cast, and I will say it again and again, just in case I'm I'm right, because that would be awesome. I think the 100th animated Disney movie will be Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. I think if I if I live long enough to see it. Or if uh, some of you listeners are around long after I'm, I'm, I'm gone and long gone into the sky. Um, I think this the hundredth animated Disney movie will be Snow White's as this milestone of their films, and they will animate what they intended. 
because there were a lot of things cut from that first one. It was the first feature-length animated film that Walt Disney was attempting, that, that any major studio was attempting. Uh, for those cinephiles out there, yes, there is that lost feature-length French film, which was a blend of animation and live action anyhow, so whatever. Um, but yeah, the, the cut idea of giving the prince even a name would be nice. So yeah, that that's that is really neat that that um, that that's out there. Uh, of other cuts ideas, none spring to mind exactly. However, as we discussed when we watched Ichabod and Mr. Toad, The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad, both of those films that are in that in that package movie, I almost got out of there, um, would make wonderful full-length films uh mickey and the beanstalk would make a wonderful feature-length film instead of the shortened version that it was even bongo um which is from melody time or fun and fun and fancy free would make an amazing feature film and i wish that that we had been able to see that come to fruition the the feature-length version of those four films would would be incredible. Wind in the Willows, which is um, what Mr. Toad is drawn from, is a long, lengthy, very popular series of books. The there was a, I remember seeing it on PBS when I was little, a Wind in the Willows cartoon series. Uh, but to to see it in the hands of Disney to craft an eighty hundred minute eighty to a hundred minute movie of any of those would be would be so amazing. I w- I would love to have seen that of the the ideas that didn't get brought to fruition as waltz probably wish they they had um so there there you go there there's that um so does peter pan still stand as the darkest film for you too okay so this is this is the question i was answering before that i think um bald mountain would be the most the darkest um peter pan in in discussing it with jeff and and we often will continue our conversations after the episode is over the the darkness in Peter Pan is only inherent to us because we're able to look and analyze it uh, analyze it from from years of experience and an outsider perspective and not being a in the moment watching it as a child having seen it so many times and being able to nitpick at it and and look for subtext that may or may not be there we we did agree that Peter Pan does feel like the darkest of the films subtextually. But if you're looking at surface, yes, but Pinocchio and um, uh, Bald Mountain would be. All right. Uh, another question here. Have there been any magic users in the past that you were hoping would make it this far? Okay, so this kind of lends to the, the tournament we've, we've thrown up. Um, I, I honestly thought... Okay, so the question is, are there any magic users we thought would make it further in our Street Fighter super turbo sorcerers wizard duel video game concept that we've been creating in our heads somebody make that game i would so play that game um i would like to think the that uh, the fairy godmother could have fared better in in this tournament style of of champions however flora fauna and meriwether from sleeping beauty undermine what i think fairy godmother's strengths are strength her strengths in eh, seeming a little out of it but still super powerful 
it's it's her sweet grandmotherly appearance and attitude and personality is completely undercut by those three idiot fairies from <laughs> from Sleeping Beauty. They they they're the worst. They that movie has so much potential that's just so wasted. <laughs> and no, the potential was not found in Maleficent starring Angelina Jolie. I do not approve. Do not approve. <laughs> so yeah, the the blue uh, the fairy godmother. I would like to think that she would be she would fare better better were it not for flora fauna and meriwether and the the blue fairy from pinocchio if anyone's a fan of the fables comic book series the blue fairy plays a crucial crucial role to one of the most powerful characters in that entire comic book series and i, I believe i've plugged fables before i'll plug it again it's such a good series if you're into fairy tales and and the dark side of fairy tales um if you're a fan of once upon a time on abc that show is a deliberate and terrible ripoff of fables the comic book series so unless you're averse to reading which i know some of you might be <laughs> looking in your direction um then yeah fine watch once upon a time but fables is a great series and uh, and tangent back the the blue fairy plays a very pivotal role as someone of power in that series so yeah all right that's that seems to be all the comments and tweets and whatnot that i have for you guys today this was an interesting um, experiment in podcasting i've never i've gone solo once before but that episode um did not go to air. Not not for this podcast, for the Rewatchman, which I've been doing for, for five years now. If you are missing Jeff and you want to hear his dulcet tones, he and Chris Scholes did a new episode of the Rewatchman. They have a segment that, we, that we've dubbed the Rewatchman React, where they will record on their way to a film, watch the movie, and then react to it after the film. So they discuss their preconceived notions going in, and how fulfilled or unsatisfied they were coming out. If you want to give that a listen, you can find it at the at ghosthat.net. It, uh, it is also available on Redacted Media on Facebook. You can also find The Rewatchman on iTunes. It's everywhere. Get out there. Uh, give it a listen. And, um, and, and I, did think, I did thank listeners last week. We've been getting a boost in the Rewatchman listens, so thank you for those of you who are <laughs> who can't get enough of my voice and have have gone over to the uh, the other podcast to give that a listen. Uh, ben and I are going to be meeting again very soon to discuss our thoughts on Spider-Man, um, not just Spider-Man: Homecoming, but Spider-Man, a previous franchise as well. So you can um, expect that in the future. If you want to Twitter paid at us, you can reach me at TC's Big Head. You can reach Jeff at Random Bell. And you can, of course, comment on any of the episodes and posts that we have made at Facebook.com slash Top Shelf Pod. Can I keep plugging here? There's a new episode of the Oscars um, podcast that Lindsay and Colin are doing for the Top Shelf Network, which they have done 12 Years a Slave, which... Much like Schindler's List, which I've mentioned earlier, that is, that's that's that that movie is. Whew. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> uh, 
uh, give them a listen, show them some love. Check check out Lindsay and Callan over there. And yeah, I think that will do it for the episode here. I'm going to sign off now and end this fancy recording and actually publish it today. So if you want to, I don't know why you would, those listening live would want to hear it again, but if you want to, it will be available later this evening. If you are listening here, comments, tweet, like, share, spread the word of Top Shelf and everything we have to offer here. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, Jeff, I miss you. I don't know if I like doing this alone thing. Um, I just talked nonstop for 45 minutes straight, and uh, I think it went all right. So (laughs) let me know what you guys thought of this little bonus episode. Maybe we'll do it again in the future. Thank you so much for listening. I am TC for Jeff, for the entire Top Shelf family. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next time, and this is a sign-off. This has been a production of Ghost Hat Media, proud member of the Ghost Hat Network. Find them online at www.ghosthat.net. <laughs> I like the ending.